0: Welcome to the Intuitively You podcast, where we chat all things intuitive eating, body image, finding peace with food, and so much more. I'm your host, Jen Baswick, intuitive eating, dietitian, and embodiment coach. And I'm your guide along your journey to food freedom so that you can improve your relationship with food and your body to no longer hold you back from living your best, most fulfilling life. We'll be chatting about all the real talk, the tips and tricks, the struggles, and most importantly, how you, yes you, can finally find peace with food and your body. After each episode, I'll be sure to wrap it up with some takeaways for you to implement in your life, so make sure to stick around until the end. Now, let's dive into today's episode. This episode is such an interesting one, and I'm excited for you to dive into this and learn about this super unique topic of cannabis and intuitive eating and how to navigate that entire journey if that is something that is part of your life. So we have a guest on the episode today, and our guest is Leah Kern. Leah is an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor who specializes in helping people heal their relationships with food and body. Her approach to coaching is firmly evidence-based, rooted in the health at every size and intuitive eating frameworks. In her private practice, Leah teaches her clients to harness their body's innate wisdom to govern how they eat and live. Leah believes that the work involved with unraveling years of conditioning and diet culture and learning to come home to one's body is deeply spiritual work, and she treats it as such. It is Leah's mission to help her clients make peace with food and their bodies so they can unlock their most aligned and fulfilling lives. I love how much Leah's mission is just like mine and how we connect so much on bringing the spiritual work into intuitive eating and how connected it is and how we need to take care of our souls too and how we express ourselves authentically as humans and how that fits into our relationship with food and body journey. So I had a lovely conversation with Leah. I know you're going to enjoy it. But in addition to Leah's love for intuitive eating, she has had her own unique journey to improving her relationship with food that also included learning how to navigate cannabis use and how that was impacting her eating habits. And if you're someone who does use cannabis, know that this episode is going to be really juicy if that's something that you do and you also struggle in your relationship with food. Also, just a side note to throw in here where I live and where lots of different folks live what we're talking about with this conversation, cannabis use is legalized and of course always when we're talking about different substances or things that may be part of your life, using it with your discretion and only in a way that is safe. So, I just want to add that little disclaimer in there and Again, this is going to be such a cool conversation if it is part of your life and Leah and I chat about that intersection of cannabis use and intuitive eating and relationships with food, really going through and digging into the reasons that people seem to binge eat when they are using cannabis or when they're high, you know, the quote unquote munchies and why that happens and why it feels like such a trap and then also really some tangible tips to help you to stop binge eating or feeling out of control around food while using cannabis. So again, juicy episode, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Leah as much as I did. And if you have any comments or thoughts or feedback, we'd always be happy to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to DM either myself or Leah on Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Enjoy. Today we have Leah with us. I'm so excited to talk about this very unique topic of cannabis and intuitive eating, how those things go together, what that looks like. It's a very intriguing one for sure. And... Yeah, I'm just really excited to what you have to say on this topic and just hear you chat about it, Leah. But yeah, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here and connect with you in real
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. And to you know, set the foundation for the listeners so they know who they're listening to, Leah, if you would be able to share a little bit about you, whatever you want to share goes. Um but yeah, share a little bit about you, what you do, who you are <laughs> so yeah. everyone can get familiar. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: My name is Leah. I am an intuitive eating dietitian and I work in my private practice to help people heal their relationship with food and body. Probably pretty similar to Jen. Um, I'm from New Jersey on the East coast. I lived there in, I was living in New York city the last three years, but actually just moved to California. So my practice is all virtual and, um, I'm running it out of California now. And yeah, so I had my own struggles with disordered eating, like so many dietitians, um, when I was in high school, which got me interested in studying nutrition from like a totally disordered place. And then ultimately found intuitive eating through my undergrad and was like, this is it, this just, it felt so resonant and knew that that was the work I wanted to do in my future career as a dietitian. And yeah, I I did my dietetic internship, passed the test, did the whole thing. Now, you know, got through all the kind of like meh, parts of it to to be able to (laughs) do what I actually want to be doing um and it feels like such a dream really I feel like this is the exact work I was put on the earth to do and I'm so grateful really every day that it's the exact work I get to do
0: yeah that's amazing that's amazing and your journey there sounds like identical (laughs) <laughs> to mine um, from a, a snapshot of going into studying nutrition from a pretty disordered place and maybe an obsessive place. And then while studying nutrition, finding intuitive eating and then, you know, healing yourself and then knowing that that's your life's work to move into to help people go through that as well. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yes. we're definitely on the same page with that for sure.
1: So many yeah. of us. Yeah. And that's like yep. the super bird's eye view story. Yes, I'm happy to elaborate sure. in any place you want to <laughs> poke into. But sure. Yeah, that's kind of the Absolutely. main spiel.
0: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thanks for that introduction. And I also want to say it's like a dream of mine to move to California. So I'm like, Really? Oh, I would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you want to move? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. I don't anywhere really. I don't have a specific location there, but I would love to just be on the West coast, particularly in California. I know I could move to like BC in Canada, but as something about California, I just, it's yeah. it's, it's the place. It's yeah. very
1: like dreamy. I had a client say once, like, it's like nostalgic somehow, even if you've never been there. It's like
0: California. Yes. Yeah. I have been once and I loved it. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to be there more often. It's so far from where I am though. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love that. And you're right, that's bird's eye overview of who you are, what you're doing today. Um I would love to hear a little bit more about your journey and and dive into that a little bit more of what made you be in that state of resonating so much with intuitive eating and then going through that um to really get to where you are today because I think it's really cool to listen to other people's journeys because I know especially the folks that listen to the podcast probably aren't in the same place that you and I are now, but like our past selves. So hearing a little bit about that would be awesome of what your journey looked like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the way you asked the question just made me kind of think to to put it in these words, like I was struggling with disordered eating, I would say starting probably in like sophomore year of high school. But I didn't recognize that that's what was happening because in my head, it was like, okay, you either have anorexia, bulimia, or you're fine. And there was no Mm -hmm. understanding that there could be disordered eating that wasn't diagnosable in like clinical terms, but that was still disruptive to the quality of a person's life. And that's exactly what I was experiencing. That's exactly what I see so many of my clients experiencing Mm -hmm. these days of just kind of like, people who would fall through the cracks because they don't have the kind of like clinical recognition and validation, but maybe they're still feeling obsessed, out of control, binging, et cetera. So how it started for me was, um, you know, it's funny. I look back and as I get older, I, I see my story differently because I have more like adult knowledge and it's almost like more pieces come into place, making sense in hindsight. So as I look back on my story, I think about, um, I was susceptible to falling prey to disordered eating because I struggled with anxiety. Um, which is only something that I'm like recently comfortable even saying, cause same thing. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's like, not, it's not clinically diagnosed. I'm fine then. But really I look back on my childhood I'm like, yeah, I totally struggled with anxiety. And I think for me, food was like, okay, like this is something you can easily channel that into and control mm-hmm. and, at least try to control but the irony is like the more you try to control it the more out of control you end up feeling
0: yes
1: (laughs) and I also was someone who identified as kind of like crunchy like hippie kind of girl um and I I think that that that, like that identity can lead you down a rabbit hole of natural and clean Mm -hmm. and that's sort of what happened to me um I kind of thought that, like, to go with that persona, you needed to eat in the like crunchy granola hippie way. And I fell into like Pinterest and Instagram, like wellness influencers and these kind of like crunchy influencer women that I followed. And I was like, ooh, like, I want to be like them. And they eat these. I remember one woman calling it a Buddha bowl, which is like, what the fuck is that? Like, it was just like a bowl <laughs> with like tofu and like different veggies. Yeah. It was all aesthetic and stuff. So, it it started out as sort of like an initially innocent interest in food, but it very quickly turned into there are good foods and there are bad foods. There are good foods, which are the ones that these like crunchy hippie wellness influencers are eating. And like, that's what you should be craving. And then there are bad foods, which is like all the other stuff. And the, the thing that kind of like put me over the edge into full on disordered eating as I see it looking back was reading this book um, that I like don't even want to mention the name because I don't want anyone to read it but essentially it was one of these like nutrition books written by a doctor um, mm-hmm. well I guess I will mention the name because it's relevant to what happened to me so the book was called eat to live and the premise was pretty much like you should just eat to live like it's not simple you know just eat so the simple so simple. Yeah. Just eat the foods that are going to be supportive for your body and like the rest, just ignore them. And it completely, it completely ignored the emotional and relational parts of food. And was like, mm. just boiled it down to this, like, yeah, just eat to live. It's just get the nutrients in that are good for you and forget the rest. And... um you know, it was written by a doctor. So it it felt like it was credible. And at the time I didn't understand that doctors don't get a lot of nutrition training. And this book really caused me to have some pretty intense restrictions. Like I remember, you know, I lived in New Jersey growing up. My friends would all go get bagels for lunch senior year. And I was like, no, that's like, I can't do that. And I would have my, my packed salad with like tofu and whatever. Um, and then what was really challenging about this part of life and kind of confusing was that I was putting off this like clean, natural, like quote, big air quotes, like healthy girl persona. But then the longer I was restricting in that way, the more intense the binges got behind closed doors. So behind closed doors, I wasn't that person. And then there was this shame of like, ooh, I'm, I'm not living up to this identity that I'm projecting and people know me by. Um, and then to your question of like, what was it about intuitive eating that resonated so deeply with me, then, you know, fast forward a little bit, I live in this disordered mindset for a while and then freshman year study dietetics. So I learned about intuitive eating for the first time. And once I heard someone use the words intuitive eating, I think something in me was just like, Oh, like I need to know more about that. Like I've never heard those words in that order before. I always tell the story. I went to the library, like on on the way home from the class that it was mentioned in, and was like, "I need this book." Like, cause the the woman was like, "If you want to learn more, get this book." They didn't have it, but they like ordered it. I got it a few days later, and I literally devoured it on the on the top bunk of my little forced triple <laughs> dorm room. And what 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 resonated so deeply with me was I felt so seen because the book was describing thinking about food all the time, having that constant mental gymnastics of like, if I do this, then this, Um, it was describing this category that I felt like I fit into of like disordered eating, but maybe not full-blown eating disorder. And I felt so seen by that. And then I also felt so much hope of like, whoa, there is a way to conceptualize moving back towards a peaceful relationship with food and an intuitive relationship with food And then I started walking towards that and felt my entire life change. I had so much more brain space and I was able to enjoy food more and it helped my social life and all those things. And I was just like, everyone needs to know about this. I want to scream it from the rooftops. Um, And so, yeah, and of course, it's been a continuous learning process since then. I've really, in the last, you know, eight years in my own intuitive eating journey, I feel like I'm constantly uncovering different layers of, you know, the ties with diet culture in uh, white supremacy culture and the different elements of privilege that play in and and weight stigma and social determinants of health. So it hasn't been like, okay, I learned about it and that's it. It's been a (laughs) continual process of, you know, deepening my understanding.
0: Yeah. I I love that point too. It's not just a we'll do this thing and it'll fix everything. And then I'm good. I can forget about it. Move on what we like think of as diets. Like it's nothing like that. It's, it is truly like a lifelong journey and it is a beautiful one. Cause it's just connecting back to our inner wisdom. And mm. I loved hearing your journey and there's some like fun little tidbits in there. And again, still things that I resonate with as well. Like I was taking on a very similar persona of being so healthy and sharing about that and wanting to preach the healthy things. But behind closed doors, shit was hitting the fan. And it did not feel that way at all. It was out of control. There were binges. There was a lot of like yeah, negative feelings, a lot of shame, a lot of terrible feelings about food. But in from you know, bird's eye view of someone looking in at or me from like an outward standpoint, it looks great. Like, oh yeah, that's nice. Like that idea of healthy and like whatever we want to think about it. And I like that you described a little bit of your, you know, personality and journey with like crunchy and hippie, like that kind of stuff. And I wonder, <laughs> you've got me curious if that relates a little bit to our topic of cannabis oh, right. yeah. and how that, <laughs> right? I'm like, this is, I, I see maybe a connection here. Um, And I wonder how, you know, you would tie cannabis into like your own journey as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So cannabis started to become a part of my life in, um, I think senior year of high school. I have a twin brother and or no, he maybe junior year of high school. Um, he was very into cannabis uh, from a young age. I, not That sounds bad. Not like young, young age, but like in high school. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was kind of my exposure to it. And in high school, it was very much every single time I would use cannabis full on binge, full mm-hmm. on binge. Um, I worked at this like bakery and I would, um, often get to bring home like the extra pastries cause they didn't save them for the next day. And it was like, Oh, bring them home. Like for my parents and for my brother and for like my friends. And then like, you know, as soon as weed was in the equation, I was having large amounts of pastries and it felt so uncomfortable. And so that like, that was kind of my relationship with cannabis in in high school was very much I I I like this thing I like the way it makes me feel it's it's a fun way to kind of connect to myself and others, yet there is this unwanted side effect which is every single time I feel out of control with food, and then freshman year when I learned about intuitive eating freshman year of of college, um I was starting to work through healing my relationship with food and I noticed shifts in my sober life much more quickly. But then I'd when cannabis was in the equation, it felt like, okay, everything I'm working on mm-hmm. with this is going out the door. Like it feels like it's hard to hear my cues. And it made me really start to wonder, like, is it even possible to eat intuitively while high, while under the influence of weed? And of course there was nothing on the internet about this because mm-hmm. no one's talking about it then. And still barely anyone's talking about it now. Um, and so I felt kind of like alone and confused, but ultimately what happened was I I did, I was able to find peace while eating went high. It just took a lot longer and it Mm. kind of felt discouraging because it was like, oh, like I, I don't want to be having this experience of binging and I, but I do want to, enjoy the experience of using cannabis because it was part of my my life um and I went to college in Vermont and it was a big part of the social scene there um so just to give like an idea like it was so intense that like sometimes when high like earlier on um in college I I would like end up like stealing my roommate's food because I was like Mm -hmm. I didn't bring this in. Cause I don't want it. I don't want to like believe that I would have it, but then like, Oh my God, I need it so bad right now because of like that. Well, what I thought was because of like the munchies. Um, so ultimately I, through my own experience started to really kind of nail down the reasons why binging happens when high and tips to stop binging while high. And, you know, fast forward to where I am today I've been seeing clients in my practice for the last three years. And for whatever reason, the kind of client I attract, a lot of them, cannabis is part of their story. Mm -hmm. And so through my own lived experience, plus coaching several clients through their intuitive eating journey at the intersection of also using cannabis, I've been able to to really find some trends and, and iron out why this is actually happening and concrete tools and tips to move through binging while high. And I started talking about it. I started to share blog posts. It all started with a podcast on my podcast, a solo episode, which was one of the most download episodes that I've had, which is like such clear feedback that like people want to know about this. And there's nowhere to go get information. I mean, now there is, but um, there there there's stigma around it still. And so as I started talking about it more, I I was hearing from more people like, thank you. Like this is part of, and for some people, it's not even just recreational. It's like part of their pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. Like they might have a medical card or part of their mental health um, toolbox. And a lot of people don't have the privilege to just be like, eh, not going to talk about it. It's like really important to them. Um, So yeah, from there, I feel like I've just been starting to talk about it more and more. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm hearing from people that they're like finally, someone is talking about this. So it's been kind of really validating and nice to hear that it's filling a gap that people have been craving.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And I think that it's something that is so unique. And I feel as though, like also slightly taboo to talk about. And like I know here in Canada, it's been, I don't know, maybe five years, I'm guessing I don't know exactly when it happened that only five years ago, right? That, cannabis had has become legalized here. So it's definitely something that it you know, definitely feels a little taboo to talk about. And I think right. I feel like that's why people stray away from talking about it, but it is a big experience of many folks. And I think that that's refreshing and refreshing to not just, write it off as, oh yeah, that's the munchies. That's what it is. It's going to happen. Like, no, it doesn't have to feel that crummy way. Like how can we actually take a look at it and see how you can shift that and fit that into really the whole concept of intuitive eating of eating in a way that makes you feel your best physically, mentally, emotionally as a whole. Exactly. So yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah. And I just <laughs> want to add, I have kind of my own theory on on um why it's like, not like why dietitians are especially hesitant to talk about it. I think as like a stereotype dietitians, we can be quite like type A and like rule followers. Mm-hmm. Like we, and like the thought of talking about a drug can feel so scary. Cause it's like, Ooh, like that goes against the rules. <laughs> and so that's my, that's my like theory on why as a profession, we've like, especially been afraid to bring it up. I mean, there's so many content creators. It's like, how, how am I the only one? It feels quite insane. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I I agree with you. I definitely resonate with the the type A rule follower perfectionist type persona. And I think that, you know, that's something that a lot of dietitians have, but also a lot of people who struggle in their relationship with food have and how there's an overlap between those bits of how we function and and how we um, go about things in the sense of that type A persona Um, being like this really controlled, rigid, like should be right, quote unquote, right. um, All pretty polished, whatever. So yeah, I love breaking through all of that in any way, shape, or form <laughs> that we Hell can. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So I know you mentioned like through your own experience, learning, working with lots of clients who are also going through this, you've kind of uncovered some patterns um, as it relates to like this intuitive eating journey and cannabis and, and why really these things are going on and why we're feeling like that. So how would you describe the reasons of, of why, like, what are the um, main reasons that you see people are feeling out of control or binge eating while high?
1: Totally. I'm like foaming at the mouth. I love this question. So, <laughs> so the number one reason, well, first to kind of back up people, as you kind of alluded to people often just chalk it up to oh, it's the munchies. This is going to happen. But here's the thing. If it was just because of the weed in and of itself, then everyone who used cannabis would feel out of control on food when high. And that's not the case. So if you're listening to this and cannabis is part of your life, I I, I, I bet you can identify someone who uses cannabis and seems totally unbothered by food or just like uninterested or totally in control. So that shows us that it's not the weed in and of itself. It's more so relating to underlying relationship with food issues or disorder that become heightened or brought to the surface when cannabis is in the mix. So the first reason why I'm seeing people binge when high is they're using cannabis as a permission slip to eat certain foods. So it's like this kind of inner dialogue of like, I'm high, I get to eat the munchy foods. When in reality, as you and I both know, as like intuitive eating professionals, you can have those foods anytime. You don't need the excuse of being high. And often this is not even conscious. It's like, you might just automatically be like, oh, I'm high. Therefore I eat, you know, I don't know, like pretzels and Nutella and ice cream. I don't know. Those foods just came to mind. And so What happens then is you set up this like last supper mentality of like, got to eat it all now while I'm high before I'm sober and I lose the excuse of being high. Mm -hmm. So this is the number one reason that I'm seeing people binge when high is they often unconsciously are sort of reserving special foods or the the, the foods they really want to be eating for when high in order to feel like they have this socially acceptable excuse, which then sets up this deprivation last supper mentality and leads to binging.
0: Yeah, that is like something that makes so much sense. And I think in like outside of like what my brain was putting together there, outside of the experience of being high, like other instances we see that is cheat days, right? Like I have to get it all in on this cheat day because that's the only time that this is allowed. And after that, I got to go back to my like, you know, other rules of being good. And I love that you also described it as like, it might not even be conscious. You might not be intentionally reserving those foods like in your conscious mind for that time. But there's this part of you that believes those foods aren't good. So it's like, oh, it's the time now that we can finally do this without feeling so much guilt and shame about it. Um, and then, you know, just going down the rabbit hole of that because of the deprivation backlash that we feel when we put things off limits.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and so many of these reasons are not. Not unlike reasons why people binge when sober, it's just yeah. that there are certain kind of uh, pieces that can be like sneaky with with, with the cannabis sure. in, in the experiment. And there is there are some reasons that are unique to cannabis. So to keep going through mm-hmm. the second reason why I see people binging while high is because they're saving up eating for the cannabis experience. So a lot of like, ooh, like I want to eat this meal when high, so I'm gonna enter into the experience of being high, very hungry, so that I can kind of capitalize on the experience and get as much of my eating in as possible under the influence. And you see this, I think people maybe do this, um, like with drinking, excuse me, with drinking too. I mean, I don't want to even venture into kind of comparing Mm -hmm. because I feel like less of it, much less of an expert in in that arena, but still people being like, oh, like I'm drinking. So like, I'm going to save calories. And then once- Drunk inhibitions are lowered, and we, you know, that can lead to to drunk munchies in quotes. But going back to cannabis, what can happen is if you enter into the cannabis experience very hungry, it's like that pendulum is pulled in the direction of hunger, and you're just setting yourself up for it to whack in the other direction of being over full. And on top of that, you are navigating through different bodily sensations that come from being under the influence and not being sober, which makes it, for, for some people, it makes it harder to understand your body's cues because you're not in a state that you're as familiar with, kind of communicating with and decoding. So yeah, that, that's the second biggest reason. And and sort of the third reason is tied in, into that, which is um, people binge while high because they're not as familiar with their body's cues. Uh, body cues in that altered state. And think about it. Like if you, if you are practicing intuitive eating when sober, you probably have logged many more hours dropping in and considering where you are in the hunger fullness scale and communicating with your body in the sober state versus Mm -hmm. Most likely, being high is sort of the the thing that the state that you're in sort of proportionally less often. So you, therefore, you vlog fewer hours practicing communicating with your body's cues in that state.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if it's like this new arena to be connecting with those cues, our our hunger and fullness cues, and it it feels different when you are under the influence of you know, whatever it may be, cannabis in this instance, it's not going to feel the same because, you know, different things are going on in our bodies and in our minds. So it doesn't feel the way that you might be used to practicing that. It feels a little bit different. And I think the saving up for thing is, yeah, interesting as well to like, it, yeah, saving up for more of a, like getting ready for an experience to have more of those foods that we don't otherwise let ourselves have. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And then another reason, and this reason is more specific to the experience of using cannabis versus like being widely, more widely applied, like some of these other ones. Mm -hmm. This reason is the reality is that cannabis can lead to heightened sensations. So food really can feel more pleasurable. And as a result, stopping when full can feel profoundly sad. Like it just Mm as as food can be profoundly pre- pleasurable. It works in the opposite direction too, where stopping can be like especially sad. And to try to avoid feeling that sadness, sometimes this can this can result in just eating, eating, eating to, to not have to feel that sadness of uh, Lisa Rush, one of the co-authors of Intuitive Eating, talks about the sadness of saying enough. Like when you're done, it can, be, it can be like a little bit of grief of like, oh man, that was so pleasurable. And I'm sad that it's coming to an end. So I see that playing in a lot too, um, and and I'm happy to jump into how we actually move through these these reasons for binging while high, if that if that feels good for you.
0: Yeah, I think that that last point is especially interesting in the fact that senses can be heightened. And I think that's a cool thing that we could almost have a more pleasurable experience with food because food is pleasurable and it should be pleasurable. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. But on the you know flip side, it could be very hard and very difficult and sad, like you're saying, to stop and to avoid those negative emotions. Maybe we don't stop. And that's how this gets more out of control as well. So yeah, very cool. Very interesting. And I am very intrigued to hear, um, you know, almost like the flip side of these reasons why, like, how can we start to tackle this and like take some steps to not be in this out of control binge eating state while high.
1: Yeah. So if we just kind of follow the order of the reasons I gave, the first reason being using cannabis as a permission slip to eat your favorite foods. This is a pretty straightforward kind of solution, which is look at the foods you're binging on when high and work on intentionally incorporating those foods when sober, too. So you can really signal to your brain these foods aren't on a pedestal. These foods are allowed anytime. We don't have to wait for an experience of being under the influence of cannabis in order for these foods to be acceptable. And this will help to get you to habituate to the food and for it to not feel so like shiny and alluring. And therefore, when you enjoy that food when high, it won't feel like this is my last chance to have it. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like basically the habituation of that food into your life as a whole, making peace with it—that it's not just reserved for that time. It can be eaten and enjoyed at any other time. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that.
1: And then the second reason why binging while high happens: entering into that cannabis experience, especially hungry, having like mm-hmm. saved up "quote unquote" calories for for the cannabis experience. How we how we move through that is enter into the cannabis experience nourished. This Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't eat while high, but if you enter in at a ravenous state, you're setting yourself up to have a very difficult time listening to and honoring your body cues. So we want to make sure that you enter in baseline nourished. And honestly, in the beginning of integrating cannabis uh, or kind of working on your intuitive eating journey while using cannabis, I, I would recommend like maybe using cannabis if you want to experience food while under the influence, maybe go for a snack versus a whole meal it's just so that it's a little bit easier to kind of check in with yourself and it's a little bit less overwhelming. And at the very beginning, you might, you might not, not even want to eat while high. You might say like, I don't want to to feel discouraged. Um and maybe you do all you're eating before and then connect with other sensations while high that aren't Eating, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but this can be supportive, and I also want to recognize this can be easier said than done. Just to be like, <laughs> simply don't eat. Well, hi. Like for some people, it's like, <laughs> like me, with I was like eating my roommate's food. Like that was like really not uh, on the table. But depending where you are in your intuitive eating journey, and I've seen this with my clients, some of them are like, I don't even want to touch food right now because I I feel so good with my intuitive eating journey. I don't want to feel discouraged. Um, and that's an option too. But overall. Making sure you enter into the cannabis experience, baseline nourish, you're not setting yourself up for that backlash, you know, compensation eating from being Mm -hmm. so hungry.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's very similar to like a thing that comes to mind for me is when people do that going into like an event or going out to eat or something like that, saving up for that experience that inevitably swings us like for thinking about that hungerfulness pendulum swings us into that, like over full state, because we were just so hungry that we went all in on the food. So I think, yeah, baseline nourished, moving into it from that standpoint is a great idea.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. The the connection to other experiences like big celebratory events is is very much it's very okay. parallel here. And then the the third reason why binging while high happens is that you're not as practiced communicating with your body in that altered state. So it's harder to to notice different cues of oh I'm, I'm actually getting full now. And what my advice is to to handle this one is have compassion for yourself. It's it's going to take time and to allow yourself to be very much tuned in to like your internal dialogue. And, and it might take more checking in. Whereas when sober, it might be more reflexive. You might not have to be like, okay, where are we on the hunger fullness scale? Like what is going on <laughs> in the body? But when sober, it, I mean, sorry, when high, you might need to be a little bit more like mechanical about it because it's like you're starting over again because you're you're experiencing your body in this new state. So maybe that means having your hunger fullness scale handy or maybe that means stopping more often while eating and doing like a very intentional check-in of how am I feeling, pleasant, unpleasant or neutral and allowing yourself to be okay with kind of being a beginner again because you are relearning or or learning for the first time how these cues are manifesting in this altered state.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like almost putting it in the perspective of, it's almost like you're starting again, like you're learning the principles again while in a different state. Right. So that hyper-focus almost of, oh, I really have to pay attention to this to actually be mindful is yeah, actually not, it's not a bad thing. (laughs) It's just something that you might need a little extra support, a little extra mindfulness, a little extra care to get tuned in to those cues and and you're actually feeling. And again, I'm sure with that practice makes it easier.
1: Exactly, exactly. And then the last reason why binging while high happens is kind of my favorite one to talk about, which we we spoke about already, Mm -hmm. the experience of sensations actually being heightened, like food actually feeling more pleasurable. And this is kind of my favorite hot take tip. I think the other tips given so far aren't necessarily groundbreaking, but I think this one is. And that is, remember that you have other sensations, other senses, aside from just taste. There's smell, Mm. there's touch, um, there's sound. So if you are no longer hungry and that feels sad because you were really wanting to revel in the experience of heightened sensations while high remember that there are other senses that you can experience that are going to be heightened while high. So maybe that means listening to music or dancing or engaging in um, self-massage or self-pleasure or pleasure, intimate pleasure with a partner. Any of these activities or even like a hot shower, hot bath, holding a hot cup of tea, any of these listed kind of options still hit on different senses, but they won't have the side effect of leaving you feeling uncomfortably stuffed in your body. So I think that this is a really helpful way to conceptualize for people because the idea of just not eating or stopping eating can feel like, oh, well, I'm being robbed of one of the best parts of being high, which is experiencing those heightened senses. And when we look at it this way, it's like, no you're not. There's there's so many different senses to experience and also I want to just add here, you have body autonomy. If you want to really experience the, the sense of taste and you don't want to stop, that is totally fine. You are not doing anything wrong. It just means that you have to be open to the way that that might make you feel for the rest of the evening and potentially even into the next day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a very important point. Like, we always, even though there are little rough frameworks within things related to intuitive eating and related to tapping into your body and honoring those cues, they're not rules, right? This is none of this is meant to be rules. So, you can do whatever you want. I think it is just important to consider how you will be feeling you know in all the different ways and if you are okay with that right if you are okay with potentially feeling uncomfortable physically for the sake of like the the mental pleasure or satisfaction of that right so it's kind of like balancing all of those things but i love that tip of other senses let's see how we can find pleasure in all of these other areas that might feel really good and juicy while in that state as well so it's not that we can only get that from food. We could get that from all these other areas. So I think that's really cool of all the different ways. And I love the examples you gave too, to tap into yeah. really getting that pleasurable satisfaction, deepened, you know, a senses experience. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's so much yeah. more like to say, but those are what, that's what I would say is like the very much the overarching reasons why Binging Wahai happens mm-hmm. and then the overarching tips to navigate. Well,
0: hi. Yeah. And I think those were amazing. And I love how tangible these tips are because I think that's phenomenal when people can listen if they relate and be like, oh yeah, like I could actually take this away and see what this looks like in my life and try some of these things out. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think uncovering the why is so important, but the tangible totally. tips were. Awesome. I loved that. This whole conversation, Leah, it's been really great to, to chat about with you. Is there any like last little tidbits that you just really want to share before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I, I want to share that reflection is really important. So if binging while high happens, it can be really useful instead of just being like, Oh, I hate that that happened. Like, I feel bad that that happened. I'm upset with myself and more of that, like, harsh inner critic to kind of gently and in a very more like much more like objective and exploratory way go back in and be like huh that's interesting i wonder what happened here like was i adequately nourished going into the experience um was i eating a food that i don't usually allow when sober that i don't usually have around was i um not wanting to acknowledge a hard emotion and wanting to, to use food to, to avoid that emotion, what was going on for me emotionally today or this week. So reflecting on experiences so that you can learn from them and then move forward so that in the future, maybe it, it looks a little different and it's, you don't, you know, have the, the negative outcome, the unintended negative outcome, um, because you're taking the time to, to explore and understand why it's happening in the first place. I think that that's a really important piece of this. And I do want to add in my own story with cannabis and intuitive eating through a lot of reflection that looked like that. I actually came to realize that I don't even like eating while high. I just always automatically did it because it was like a cultural thing of like, you get high, you eat food. It's a munchies. Like it was very much a thing in college. But after college, I remember the moment I was with my cousin and we were eating sushi. And I was like, wait, this is so sad because it's it actually feels less pleasurable because I'm so hyper aware of like every bite. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am chewing seaweed and I was really wishing in that moment that I wasn't high and that I could just enjoy it in my my regular state. And that really made me realize like most often, I don't wanna eat one high. Maybe maybe there's like certain things that that don't like almost weird me out when I think too hard about them. But in general, it's actually, doesn't even feel pleasurable for me and permission for you to to like you know come up with your own reflections here but i would would encourage you to reflect and decide for yourself instead of just kind of like unconsciously going with the societal norm of like we eat while high
0: yeah yes learning from your own experiences and being able to figure out what does feel best to you is hands down the best way to move forward from things. And love what you shared about the reflection pieces. That is something that is so important to me is to have the outlook of curiosity and not judgment. And that's something that I always will say till I'm blue in the face, like we'll get curious about it, but we're not going to judge ourselves about it. So Yeah. So good. So good. I love that. And thank you for sharing like almost like a little wrap up of your journey with this too. And and what you found to be true for yourself, which everyone else may be unique. Right. So very cool. Love this topic. Love this conversation. I really appreciate you, you know, sharing what you've uncovered about this Leah. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I would love to ask you the wrap-up questions that I love to ask everyone. First one being the Intuitively You podcast. If you could almost surmise how how you practice living intuitively in your life, what would that be?
1: Mm, so good. Yeah, i I would say I take a lot of time to connect to what's what's going on inside of me and sometimes it it doesn't happen sometimes it happens after the fact sometimes like a friend will ask to make a plan and I'll be like yeah yeah and then after the fact my body's like oh no 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 like we don't actually want to do that and so I, I just consider it sort of like a lifelong dance of listening to the voice that for me more often shows up as a little whisper and can be easily missed but really listening to her and being like what was that instead of just being like um so that that's for me in my day-to-day life how it shows up it's a lot of honestly it's a lot like sometimes I know before but I think it's a lot of realizing after the fact and then kind of like speaking of reflection, storing that and being like, okay, last time this happened, you quickly did this. But then after the fact, intuitively it didn't feel right. So like let's slow down this time and really figure out what happened yesterday. I was like had a busy work day and like a friend reached out who I haven't spoken to in a while and I was like, what are you doing today at 4 30? And she was like, oh I'm free. Like I can talk then. And then my body was like, oh, we want to like go on a run and like be with ourselves. We just were with clients all day. We don't want to like talk to someone. And I was like, dang it, why did you just do that? Now you have to like <laughs> come up with like a reason <laughs> to tell her why you can't talk. But I try to come back to compassion in, in that sometimes we don't know until we go there. We have to go there to, to know why we don't go there and why it doesn't feel right. So I consider it, yeah, a constant dance of listening to the inner whisper and allowing her to, to kind of be heard and like almost like giving her a microphone instead of like, shoving her
0: down yeah that is such a good description of like intuition in general of how much it is like a whisper and the the louder bits are more of the like shoulds or the ego or whatever it is of like oh yeah like yeah let's do that 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 sounds right <laughs> right right But then, uh, yeah, that inner whisper being like, oh, no, you know, I don't I actually don't want to do that. Yeah. Hey, over (laughs) here. um,
1: I have have some ideas.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, please, no. Um, (laughs) I love that. Really just amplifying that inner whisper and taking the time to listen to what's going on. And I think the retrospective piece of it is interesting as well. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I love that. And one more fun question for you. If you were a food based on your personality, what food would you be?
1: Okay. So I saw this ahead of time and I was like, Ooh, okay. The on my personality (laughs) is kind of hard, but for some reason, the food that came to mind was like salted caramel ice cream. Mm -hmm. Cause like I recently had that and I, I, feel like I have contrast and like I also really like contrasting food like I like sweet and savory so much it's like mm. but like as a person I feel like I have this compassionate nurturing side of me which is a lot of what makes me able to to coach and to do counseling work as a dietitian but I also have this like fiery like Jersey girl, like <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of aggressive. Like I'm just like, yeah, I was raised by New York Jewish parents and I'm from New Jersey. I just feel like I could like get a little feisty. And so there's that contrast of like the sweetness and like the compassion and the gentleness, but then also like the fieriness. And I think of like salted caramel is like sweet and savory. And it's like very stark contrast, but it like works well together. So that's. That's my answer, I yeah. love
0: that. That's a great answer. <laughs> oh that I, You described it phenomenally. <laughs> like, I I love that. That's a that's an awesome one. Also, mm-hmm. yum. That makes me want <laughs> oh, salted so caramel ice cream now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, do I, you, has anyone yeah.
1: ever turned the question back to you on what food you are?
0: Yes, and I've had several different thoughts, and I think it it comes down to like how I'm feeling at the time, and. I think my more recent thought about it has been, like, a chocolate-covered strawberry Mm -hmm. and, like... Yeah. In the way that very soft and sweet on the inside, but still has like a little bit of a protective shell Ooh, around yeah. it. That's like, you know, I can stand my ground and I can, you know, do all these things that's important for me and listen to my intuition and say no and have boundaries and all that good stuff, but still very compassionate and soft and sweet and all that Ooh. stuff on the inside. So I yeah, love that. that's been like my we're... recent one.
1: I think our foods are like compatible. Like I think, well, also just from
0: talking to you this last hour, I'm
1: like, oh, I really like
0: you. I I agree. (laughs) This this has been awesome. I love, love the jive he has going on for this conversation. It's been so much fun chatting with you as well, Leah. So I really, really have loved it. And to just wrap us out for the episode, how can listeners connect with you? Um, anything you would like to share in in that sense?
1: Yeah, totally. So probably the easiest place, um, Instagram, it's leocern.rd. And then um, I also have a podcast, it's called Shoulders Down, and it's on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I, um, I'd love to, to share a personal plug if it's okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I've been trying to lean into this idea that like, I can be more than just like the intuitive eating body image dietitian. And I have been sharing, starting to share my personal writing through a sub stack, um, which feels has felt so good. So, um, if you want to subscribe to that, it's cool. called Messy Lived In Life. And I'll hopefully give you the link to be able to, yes, to link to. Sure. It's just personal writing, short essay kind of style. And it's been feeling so fulfilling to to kind of nurture that part of myself. So, yeah.
0: I love that so much. That is very fun. And I definitely will um, link all of these things in the show notes. So whoever's listening, you can go ahead to the show notes and just easily click on any of these things you're interested in. But yeah, go, uh, go on and connect with Leah. And again, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, wait, I need to add this. Oh. Sorry. I totally oh, forgot. One more thing. Yes, here we go. <laughs> um,
1: to- thinking about the episode being Cannabis and Intuitive Eating, yes. I'll give Jen the links because there's no way we could fit everything into this one hour. Mm. Um, I have a Cannabis and Intuitive Eating masterclass recording from last year Um, on 420. It's $18. It's like everything we spoke about today in so much more depth. Um, and then I also have a podcast on my episode about cannabis and intuitive eating. So those are two resources where you can hear even more, um, to point you there.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Good ad in, in relation to the topic (laughs) (laughs) If people are interested in diving into that more. That's perfect. Um, yes, we'll have those links for you. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. Thanks Jen. Thanks so much for listening to the intuitively you podcast you can find the show notes from today's episode along with all the takeaways at theintuitivenutritionist.com podcast. Let's connect on Instagram. You can find me at the.intuitive.nutritionist. Be sure to share and tag me when you're listening along. And if you're loving the podcast, I would be so honored for you to go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button and leave a review. I'm so happy you're here and learning how to better your relationship with food, your body, and yourself. Until next time, keep on living intuitively you.